We were jumping into this series, back, back into this series called Real Life at the Movies. We started this series on Father's Day uh, with this idea of I can only imagine. And on, if I can only imagine, it was a, a story about this father and this son who had an estranged relationship. And Dan talked about that. And so if you didn't get a chance to uh, watch the, the movie or didn't get a chance to watch the message, I would encourage you to jump on our website to watch the message. Uh, don't watch it online, the movie, because that's illegal. So instead, uh, actually rent the movie. And then last week, we talked about Incredibles 2. And Incredibles 2, we talked about a family that, that fights together or a family that sticks together to fight for the mission and, and what we're called to in this mission uh, to share the love of Jesus. That's what we talked about last week. And today, we're gonna talk about this idea of wonder. Now, out of curiosity, how many just so I know who I'm talking to today. How many of you have seen this movie before? Just out of curiosity. Excellent, excellent. Uh, second question, follow-up question. How many of you wanted to see this movie? How many? Okay, a few of you wanted to see this movie. Here's the deal. I didn't. I did not want to watch this movie. And, and before you judge me, here's why I didn't want to watch this movie. I didn't want to cry for a couple hours. When I saw the preview, as you just watched right there, the trailer, I walked away from, I think I went to a movie and saw the trailer, and I went, yeah, I don't want to watch that movie because I don't want to feel sad. I, I, I don't, is that so wrong that I don't want to feel sad? I don't want to sit on my couch and feel sad for two straight hours. That's not what I want to do. And so I would rather watch movies that make me laugh. I'd rather watch movies that inspire me. I don't want to cry. And then what happened was is I noticed that most churches that do this movie series, a lot of churches do this movie series, and I noticed that most of the churches that do this series had this movie in their lineup. And I went, there's something special about this movie, and I need to figure out what that was. And so my wife and I and the kids, we sat down, and we watched this movie, and I walked away from watching this movie going, oh, we could have preached this for seven weeks. There is so much stuff in here. It's inspirational, and it pulls at your heartstrings. In fact, I would go as far to say this, or to be as bold to say this, if you didn't cry, or if it didn't well up a little bit inside of you, you're probably got a hardened heart. You, you probably need to get checked out if you didn't cry at all during this movie, or if you didn't at least well up at all during this movie. Uh, this past week, I was at, at lunch with one of our interns. We took a group of people out to lunch on Thursday, and I was just sitting down with one of our interns. Her name is Grace. And I was sitting with Grace at Panda Express, and I said, hey, Grace, did you cry during Wonder? And she said, no, I didn't cry during Wonder. I was like, man, you, you got to get checked out, Grace. And so then we started walking through some other things. And I said, Grace, did you cry in, in A Dog's Way Home? Or, you know, A Dog's Way Home? Did you, did you cry in that? She said, no. Grace, did you cry in Avengers Endgame? She said, no. I said, Grace, did you cry during Happy Gilmore? She said, no. I was like, man, there's something wrong with you. If you didn't cry during this movie, you, you, there's something wrong with you. And, and the amazing part about this movie is it's not just this, this sad movie. There, there's some inspiration that comes from it. And as I walked away from this movie, the question I asked myself was this, how do you face a world that doesn't know how to face you back? It's because that's what this movie's all about. How do you face a world that doesn't know how to face you back? That's the question that is constantly at the surface of this movie, that you've got these individuals, this, this uh, unit, this family unit, who said, you know what, we're going to have a family, and, and they have this daughter named Via, and then all of a sudden they have this son named Augie, and Augie has what they call Treacher's Collins Syndrome. And you saw in the trailer there, he has to have multiple surgeries just to hear and to see and to look and, and to, to be able to smell things and be able to talk and even to look as good as he looks there, right, the plastic surgery. And you see what happens is, is he walks through all of this stuff just to have a normal, if you will, life. And as you watch the film, you see what happens is he tries to navigate through life. Often what happens is Via, the older daughter, gets kind of neglected. 
See, what I want to do today, the, the route that we would typically go in this is we would focus primarily on Augie. And we would focus primarily on him and the inspiration that he brings and how he lives his life. But today, I, I want to go unconventional a little bit. I want to look instead at a subplot that takes place inside this movie, a subplot that takes place with Via. Via is, or Olivia is, Augie's older sister. And can you imagine for a second her life? Just imagine for a second that, that for a while she's the only child and she has the, the attention of her parents. She's got all of this, this love from her parents and all of a sudden Augie comes along. And you have to imagine that the moment that Augie comes along, her whole life just gets turned upside down. She's no longer the, the, the prized child. She's no longer the child that's getting all of the attention from her parents. And what happens is, is that Via's got a couple friends in her life, a couple people in her life that are really pouring into her. She's got her grandmother, who before this film starts, her grandmother passes away. And she's got her best friend, Miranda, who before this film starts has been, through her, been with her through thick and through thin, been through everything with her. But there's something that takes place between Miranda and Via. In fact, we have a picture. I want to show you just a second this picture of, of Miranda and Via. There, Miranda's the one holding the phone. Miranda's holding the phone. This seems to be Christmas Eve, about a year before this film actually starts. And they're, they're best friends, they're tight, but something happens during summer break. Via comes back from summer, and Miranda wants nothing to do with her. She comes back from summer, and Miranda won't talk to her, won't, won't speak with her, won't, won't, won't interact with her whatsoever. And Via is trying and trying and trying. And something about this story piqued my interest. There was something going on inside this subplot of this incredible story with this young man, this incredible story that I went, man, that's not the way that junior high girls and senior high girls act at all. So there's something about this that I've got to figure out. It just kind of drew me in. And as you watch the film, you find that Via and Miranda are just at odds. And as much as Via tries, as much as she reaches out, as much as she attempts to keep the friendship alive, Miranda is having nothing of it. And perhaps you can relate to that. Perhaps that, that, that maybe today is a day that you realize that there's some relationships in your life, whether it's a friend or a spouse or a sibling or a parent, where you know what it's like to try and feel something positive for them, even when they're not even speaking to you. See, all of us can probably relate on so many different levels. All of us have been the good friend, right? All of us have had other moments where we've been the bad friend, where we've dropped the ball, where we've let the other person down, where we've said something incredibly hurtful just to try and fit in or just, just because we were defensive. We've all been there where we've not shown up because we didn't put it on the calendar or we didn't prioritize it or we forgot about it or we just missed the moment. And then we've all been where Via's been, just kind of wondering, Left to pick up the pieces, just kind of wondering, what is it about this relationship that we can't seem to figure out? And so often when it comes to relationships, when it comes to friendships, when it comes to relationships with our kids or our spouse, so often we want to do the right thing. So often we want to be encouragers. So often we want to put the wind in the sail of our friends. But all too often we want to do the right thing when it's right for us. And when it's convenient for us, I'm willing to jump in. When it's convenient for me, I'm willing to put the wind in your sail. But I don't want, if it's going to take effort, I don't want to do that. If it's going to take work for the relationship to work, I don't want to do that. If it's going to take overtime, I don't really want to do that because I'm too tired or I've got my own struggles or maybe it's just too much energy. See, what I've realized in my own life, and maybe you can relate to this, what I've realized is that the energy required to be a wind in the sail kind of friend is sometimes a little too much. 
Can you relate? That sometimes to be a win-in-the-sail kind of spouse or a win-in-the-sail kind of parent or a win-in-the-sail kind of sibling or a win-in-the-sail kind of coworker just feels too difficult. And we say things like, you know what, I'm just kind of done today. I just can't today. I don't have time for it today. I don't have the energy for it. Or maybe you feel like you've been the wind in the sail kind of friend or parent or sibling or coworker to all these people, and they just don't even recognize it. They just don't even appreciate it at all. And as you watch this film, what happens is, as you watch as Via tries and tries and tries to rekindle this relationship, she tries and tries and tries to get there with her friends. But all the while, she just kind of gives up and gives up and gives up. And as I watched this film, what I, I walked away with is going, man, I don't really like this girl. This Miranda, I don't really like her. What I know about her, I don't like her at all. And then this line comes up in this movie. And if you're wondering today when we're going to get the scripture, I promise we're getting there, okay? I promise. This line comes up in this movie and it says this, be kind for everyone is fighting a hard battle. Now, as I read that, I immediately go to some scripture. See, I, I can take a quote from a movie and I can find some scripture and go, that applies right there. there there's, a, there's a scripture that says this, they will know we're followers of Jesus by our extravagant love for one another. That we're called to this, that if we're followers of Jesus, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna tell you today, you can either try this on or tune this out, it's up to you. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus in this room, I want you to know this is not optional. This is not optional at all. They'll know we're followers of Jesus by the extravagant love that we have for other people. And fortunately for us, churches get this right all the time, don't they? Or not. Some of people's most deepest, darkest hurts happened within a body of believers or happened within a community from a church. And so can I just say this? If you're here today and if you've ever experienced hurts, from people within a church, can I just say how deeply sorry I am for that? That we're human beings, and we make mistakes, and we let people down. And so can I just say from the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry. But you look at this quote. Be kind, for everyone is fighting a hard battle. We could go around this room, and we could ask, what's the hard battle that you're fighting? And my guess is that every single person in this room would say, this is what I'm battling, this is what I'm battling, this is what I'm battling. And some of us in this room might feel like we're winning, but some of us in this room might feel like we're losing. But when we understand the battle that someone is fighting, we can better understand how we can love someone through it. But so many of us, we don't want to do that. The ability to which I'm willing to, to know you, the ability to which I'm willing to understand you is the ability that I'm willing to love you. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I told you this is not optional. If you're not a follower, again, you can try this out or you can tune it out, either one. But if you are a follower, this is not optional. If you put a VRL sticker on the back of your car, you have to yield to let someone else in. You got to love them, okay? You got it. And if you're not going to yield to let someone else in, take the sticker off. Don't leave the faith, all right? Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 is really kind of this whole idea. Galatians 6 verse 2 says this, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Share each other's burdens. We'll get there in a second. But obey the law of Christ. You might ask, what is the law of Christ? So there was this time that Jesus went to some Pharisees, and these Pharisees were trying to bait Jesus in. They were trying to, to, to talk him into some things to, to prove that he wasn't the Messiah. And they asked him this question. They said, Jesus, what's the, most, what, what's the greatest commandment of all? If you could pick one commandment out of the ten, what's the greatest commandment of all? And he said this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
That is the law of Christ. Love God, love others. That's the command that we're supposed to live in. But what I found in my own life is that when I live that command out, it's much easier for me, when I love God and love others, it's much easier for me to find out your burden, to find out the burden of my neighbors, to find out the burden of my friends, to find out the burden of my siblings. When I live this out, love God, love others, I can get underneath the burden and I can help you carry said burden. But when I don't live this out, when I don't, when I'm not willing to love God and love others, when I'm not willing to do that, I won't get under your burden. Now, hit time out for a second. We're about halfway through this message. And here's my hope for you today. My hope is that you've already got somebody in your mind who's kind of difficult to love. My hope is that there's somebody in your mind that you're saying, you know what? I don't want to get to know them. I don't want to understand them. I don't want to, to understand their burden. I don't want to do that. I hope that there's somebody that you've got to face today, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a friend, whether it's a neighbor, that there's somebody in your life right now that you're saying, yeah, I don't know if I can. See, some of you right now are saying, Ryan, I don't want you to finish this message because I know where it's going to go and I don't want to get there. I know you're going to tell me that I've got to understand their burden so that I can love them better, and I just don't want to do that. Tough luck. That's where we're going. And it might be okay for you to feel that way, but I can tell you this, it's not going to be healthy for you in the long run. It's definitely not going to make us look more and more and more like Jesus, which is the goal of us as followers of Jesus to begin with. And so we're going to look at a story today in the Bible. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 7. And we're going to look at a story where, where it would be really easy for people to dismiss this individual that, that finds herself at a party. It would be really easy for everyone to kind of go, you know what, let's just push her to the side and let's just continue what's going on. But in Luke, Luke tells us a story about Jesus and what Jesus is willing to do to show his grace to people around him. And the setting is a party. How many of you like parties in here? Just out of curiosity, how many like parties? few of you like parties, okay? I, I love parties. I love parties. My dad was a dare officer, um, and so what that meant was uh, he sat me down at a pretty young age and said, Ryan, here's the deal. You can go to as many parties as you want in high school. You can go to as many parties as you want, but if you do drugs or if you do alcohol before you're 21, guess what? Guess what? I will lose my job because if I can't get my own kid off alcohol, how am I supposed to keep somebody else off alcohol? And so I went to parties all the time in high school with one goal. My goal was to have more fun at the party, sober than everyone else drunk combined. That was my goal when I went. And so we, we see this scene of this party taking place. It's in Luke chapter 7. Pick it up in verse 36. And as we pick this up, I want you to identify with a couple different people in this story. Who do you identify with from this story? It says this. One of the Pharisees, we find out later his name is Simon. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. And so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. So this Pharisee Simon comes to Jesus. And remember, Pharisees and Jesus didn't get, get along. They didn't see eye to eye. In fact, he was trying to trap Jesus. He was trying to trick Jesus. And so he invites him over to Jesus' house. And what I love about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't just go like, no, man, I know you're trying, I know your tricks, I'm not in for that. No, he goes, what are you cooking on the Traeger? What you cooking? I'm there. Verse 37. They had Traegers back then. I know, weird. Verse 37. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. So Jesus is there, and this woman, and Luke says she's an immoral woman, meaning her history in the community is known. Everyone knows who she is. Everyone knows her past. Everyone knows her background. She shouldn't be there is what Luke is saying. And she hears Jesus is there, and she enters into the party. Now, in this culture, what would take place is that the, the poor individuals of the community would be allowed to go to the party, but they had to sit in a separate room. 
There's a side room for them to go and sit and eat all of the scraps, all the leftovers that were just kind of left for them. It was their way of taking care of the poor back then. And this woman's back there, and she's like, you know what, I've had enough of this. And so she walks into the party, and I can guess that the music just kind of comes to a screeching halt as she walks in. But she came with different intentions than everybody else. Verse 38. Then she knelt behind him, this is Jesus. She knelt behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. And her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. By show of hands, how many of you are weirded out right now? <laughs> me, okay? I have no hair, so the idea of this just freaks me out a little bit. Now, why is she weeping? I can guess. I can guess that she's weeping because she feels guilty. She feels guilty for the way that she's lived her life. She feels guilty for the, the past. She feels guilty for her mistakes. She feels guilty for the way people are looking at her. Maybe she feels shame. Maybe. Because the way Jesus elevated women and because the way Jesus elevated children in that time, that maybe she's just got gratitude that she's at his feet. We don't really know, but she's weeping. There's a lot of tears streaming down her face. It's kind of like when I watched Wonder. It's all there. And the Bible says she's got some expensive perfume and she's wiping that all over Jesus' feet and everyone's wondering what she's doing. Even Simon, the host, he notices. In fact, check out what he says to himself. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, who'd he say it to? Who'd he say it to? Thank you. He said it to himself. He says, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him, that she's a sinner. He's saying either Jesus doesn't know who this woman is or Jesus does know who she is and he wouldn't let her touch him. And so, so honestly, this cannot be the Messiah. Obviously, this isn't him. This isn't the son of God because he wouldn't let this woman touch him. He says that to himself. Simon is judging this woman because of her past, her failures, her history. Simon is looking at this woman and condemning this woman. He's saying, Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with this woman if he actually knew who she was. Here's my guess. My guess is there's some individuals in here today that you can relate to this woman right now. That when you walked in the doors today to this church, you walked in and you thought the whole building was gonna start shaking because you know your past. You know your sin. You, you know how you've lived your life and you're saying, you know what? I think God doesn't love me. God might just tolerate me. But I want you to tune into the rest of this story. Because if there's one thing Jesus is going to teach us is that if you feel like a sinner today, Jesus loves sinners. We pick it up in verse 40. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Isn't that great? I love Jesus. He, he, didn't, he didn't hear Simon say this. He just heard his thoughts. He said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Now, Jesus is going to tell a story, okay? So, so stay with me, all right? Because we started with wonder, and I promise we'll get back there. And then we went to this party scene, and now Jesus can tell a story, okay? So we're like inception happening here. It's like three layers deep, all right? Everybody here smart enough to stay on with this? Everybody good? Okay, awesome, cool. Then Jesus told him the story. He said, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to another. Now, in another translation, it says denarii. Guess what? It doesn't matter. It's just a large debt and a small debt. Okay, everybody got that? It's a large debt and a small debt. Verse 42. But neither of them could repay him. And so he kindly forgave both, canceling all their debt. 
Then he asked the question. He said, who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon, he's a smart guy. He's playing along. He said, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt for. Ding, ding, ding. That's right, Jesus said. Verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, very important. He looks at the woman. He notices the woman. He identifies the woman. He sees her. And he, he says to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, Simon, you didn't offer me water. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. He says, do you see this woman, Simon? Now, why is he asking that? Because of course Simon saw the woman. Simon thought to himself, this woman is immoral. Simon thought all that. Of course he sees her, but, but Jesus is asking a deeper question. Do you actually see her? I know you recognize her. I know you notice her, but do you actually see her? See, I think when it comes to relationships, all relationships, whether it's spouse, whether it's friends, whether it's family, whether it's neighbors, I think all relationships, there's about four qualities that we want in all of those relationships. First one is this. We all really want to be seen. We all really want to be seen. I want you to know my story. I want you to know my life. I want you to know my background. I want you to know my past. I want you to know the battle that I'm fighting. Not just that we want to be seen, we want to be understood. See, because how you see people will determine how you treat people. How you understand the battle by which they're fighting, you'll then know how to love them better. When you determine what, what's going on in their life, then you can love them better through that. Case in point, this past weekend. This past weekend, I'm at my house. We're leaving for vacation tomorrow morning. We're headed back to Missouri and Nebraska to see some family. And uh, on Friday, uh, I'm in the yard, kind of doing some yard work, trying to get us all ready so we can go on vacation. And my son, Dax, he's six years old. Uh, he comes to me, and he's holding his arm, and he's got a couple alligator tears streaming down his face. He's not hysterical. He's just coming to me and saying, hey, Dad, I just fell, and my arm really hurts. I'm like, okay, son. Like, we're, we're trying to do some yard work. We're trying to get ready to go on vacation, bud. Uh, let's go in. Let's get some ice on it. We'll take you in. We got him in. We set him on the couch, put some ice on it, and I went back out to do some work. I got to get this stuff done. We're going on vacation. We got to get stuff done around the house so that we can actually leave and feel good about leaving. Well, hours passed. It wasn't just minutes. Hours passed. And Dax comes up and he says, hey, dad, my, my arm still hurts, but I think I might feel better if I can play video games. I'm like, deal, man. Like, we don't need to give you drugs. We'll give you video games. Super Smash Brothers, go. And so he, he grabs the remote. And as he grabs the remote, he drops it. And I'm like, Dax, what, what are you doing? He's like, I... I can't even grab the remote, Dad. And he reached down to grab it again, and he couldn't grab it again. And I looked at my wife, and I said, he's hurt. If he can't play video games, he's hurt. <laughs> and so she took him to urgent care, and not long after, uh, I get a text from my wife, and it's an x-ray, and she goes, it's fractured. And I'm like, oh, snap. <laughs> Here I was going, dude, rub some dirt on it. Put some ice on it, man. We got stuff to do. There's more important stuff. We got to get the house clean. We got to mow the yard. We got to take care of these weeds. We got to do all of this stuff so that we can leave. And in the process, I didn't see him. I didn't understand him. All I knew is, man, my arm hurts. Can you kiss it, Dad? That's, that's, that's how I saw it. And I didn't value that moment with my son. I didn't see him for his hurts. I didn't understand him through his hurts. See, when you begin to see people through their hurt, when you begin to understand them through their past and their pain and their failures, you can then love them better. And that's what Jesus is going to flip the script on Simon here in a second. He picks it back up again in verse 45. 
He said, you didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time that I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she's anointed my feet with rare perfume. He says, I tell you, her sins, they are many, and they've been forgiven, and so she's shown me much love, but a person who's forgiven little only shows little love. He says, you see her as flawed, but Simon, I see her as forgiven. You see her as a failure, but I see in her her future. You know what he's really saying? He's saying, I accept this woman. The third thing we need in all relationships is we really need to be accepted. See, Jesus saw this woman full of hope that maybe today is the day that she turns it around. And Simon just wanted to judge this woman. Simon just wanted to judge her and say, you just watch what she's going to do. When she leaves here, Jesus, you know the lifestyle she's going to go back to. You, you know what she's going to do. And Jesus is just trying to teach him a point that, you know what? I love this woman. I see her. I understand her. I accept her. Now, we're smart people in the room. What would you tell Simon? What would you tell Simon? Now, before we get there, let me tell you how the movie wraps up in Wonder, because some of you, you're, you're on the edge of your seat wondering. There's something that takes place between Via and Miranda. Everything that I knew about Miranda, I didn't like. Everything I knew about her, I didn't like. But I didn't know her whole story. Check out her whole story right here. Everybody say Merry Christmas! Merry, Merry Christmas! Christmas! But now my dad's busy with his new wife who was his old boss. And my mom, well, she's busy not getting over that. I got a job at a summer camp, just so I'd have somewhere to go that wasn't home. One day, and I swear, I didn't plan this, but I started playing this little make-believe game with the girls in the camp. I said I lived in a huge brownstone on a nice street with my two awesome parents and my awesome dog named Daisy and my awesome little brother with a facial deformity. Everyone went crazy. What do you mean deformity? What does he look like? Suddenly everyone wanted to talk to me and by the end of summer, I was the most popular girl in camp. When I got home, I wanted to call Via, but she would have asked me about my parents and about camp. And then I saw Via audition for the play, and I remembered how cool she is, and how I understood why everyone in camp loved me more when I pretended to be her. She used to let Augie hang out with us all the time. I was the one who bought him his astronaut helmet. He was so into outer space. And I wanted him to know that the world was bigger than his room. And now he's out there. And I didn't even know. I could have helped him. Maybe he could have helped me. I don't know. But I could sure use some help right now. You watch that and you go, well, Miranda, if I would have known all of that to start the movie, I, I wouldn't have disliked you to begin with. Doesn't Hollywood do a good job of that? Of telling you the rest of the story? It's why some of you love Darth Vader and I'll never understand it. 
It's why some of you love Kylo Ren. It's, it's, it's why some of you love Maleficent and that whole story and the Joker, Lego Batman, all of those things, because you hear the rest of the story. You hear the rest of the story and you go, no, it's easy for me to dismiss something or someone that I don't understand, but when you can begin to understand it, man, it's hard for me to dismiss that. So what would you tell Simon? Here's what I'd tell Simon. Thanks for asking. I'd say, Simon, understand her battle and you'll learn to love her better. The moment that you understand her battle, you'll learn to love her better. See, the fourth quality we want in all relationships, we all really want to be loved. And love begins when you understand each other's battle. So here's your homework. Here's the questions I want you to ask yourself this week as you interface with with that individual, as you come face-to-face with that person that you've identified as hard to love or hard to understand their battle. Here's some questions for you. What's keeping me from being kind? What's keeping me from loving this person? What's keeping me from wanting to know their battle? Why would I rather just be the judge? Why not choose to be kind and start to understand their battle? Why do we do all that? Because we want to look more and more like Jesus every single day. That that's the desire of the people in this room who want to follow Jesus. We want to look more and more like him every single day. We want to look more and more like God every single day. And the perfect example of all of this is simple. God sees you. God understands you, God accepts you, and God loves you. And if we want to look more and more like him, that's how we need to live our life. That we see the people around us, that we understand the people around us, that we accept the people around us, and that we love the people around us. And we do that by understanding their battles so we can love them better. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for this time that we have. Just be reminded of your love to be reminded of your grace and your mercy, to be reminded of how great your love is for us. That God, we can identify as that woman who's just in awe of you, who sits at your feet, understanding the grace that you extend, but also knowing our past and our shame and our guilt and our pain and knowing you're the one that can take care of it. And so, God, today as we respond to you, God, we respond in complete adoration and worship to you today, that we would respond in a way, Father, that shows you glory for your grace. God, if we're in the room today and we feel like Simon, who just want to judge the people around us, God, that you would convict our hearts for that, that we're no better, that we still sin, we still fall short of your glory and your grace. And so, God, open our eyes today to that. God, we love you and we thank you. In the name we pray, amen.